Welcome to Beating Cancer Daily. Beating stage four cancer for 30 years still takes my breath away every time I say it. I'm Saren, founder of the Comedy Cures Foundation, and I hope you'll join me for just a few minutes daily for the next 365 days so we may laugh, learn, maybe cry a little as we live our best days beating cancer daily together. I love when podcast episodes come from such a true place for me. I love when I can share information that just resonates for me in such a deep way. And if you've been following this podcast, you know that I'm a little bit of a sleep phenomenon, and that might not be in a good way, (laughs) but most sleep doctors just want to study the fact that I don't need a lot of sleep, but because of our guest today, Jackie Bryan, my favorite RN functional medicine specialist, certified health coach, whole health educator, certified nutrition specialist, I have been so conscious about sleep patterns and how much sleep we need and why we need so much sleep. And so I am a student, but I am also the biggest fan of Jackie Bryan. So Jackie, welcome back. Theron, thank you so much for having me. I love this topic of sleep. And please know that as we're going through and talking about tips, I'm talking directly to you, Saren. <laughs> but I know just from going through the cancer experience for so many years, it does disrupt your sleep. I was helping somebody this week who was telling me how much prednisone she was on to start a new chemo. And I had a flashback to when I started new chemos and I would be so pumped of steroids because they're trying to combat the allergic reaction and just trying to normalize sleep when you're so hyper. So I just love this topic and I need to learn how to sleep better. I sleep hard when I sleep two hours of (laughs) intense sleep but I know I need to sleep way more. So please enlighten us. I too had the steroid high energy superwoman feeling when I was in chemo. 20 years breast cancer survivor now. (laughs) My husband used to be like, what am I smelling at two o'clock in the morning? Because I couldn't sleep. So I'd be downstairs cooking or baking or cleaning or hear the vacuum going at three in the morning. The problem with the steroid superwoman feeling is that there's always a crash. There's always the crash that happens afterwards. And when we talk about sleep, we think about how medications can disrupt it. This is the story you and I are telling with the prednisone, but there are people that struggle with sleep that aren't on any special medications. It's just because their mind is active or maybe they're not setting their environment up to be conducive to a good night's sleep. So those are some things that we're going to talk about today. I think so much of this has to do with technology also. We are Mm -hmm, just on our phones, computers, television, morning, noon, and night. And I think the brain just never has time to quiet. 
It doesn't. It doesn't have time to quiet. Things have changed so much. If we look at healthcare in general, we used to think that outside of the hospital setting that we would really focus in on nutrition and exercise. Those are the things that were going to keep us healthy. Those were the pillars of health. But now the research is pointing to the fact that sleep is really a huge foundation to living a better life. It is truly one of the pillars. We have quality nutrition, quality movement, and quality sleep. And just what you're saying People are burning the candle at both ends and our health is suffering from it. The National Institute of Health recommends that we dedicate, this is going to, this is going to floor you, Sarah, that they want people to get seven to eight hours of sleep in that 24 hours a day period. And many people are not getting that. And there was a, a study that was done or a survey done back in 2013 by the National Sleep Foundation that found that Americans are getting an average of six hours and maybe less a night. I'd and take that six. That's three nights for me. What are you kidding? I would go for the six. Well, one of the interesting things I found, right? So you actually just said it. You said, oh, the technology is really interfering with our life. There, there was this Gallup poll that was done in the 1940s that was saying that 40% of us get less than the recommended amount of sleep now compared to 1942. So if we look at what technology advances have happened since 1942, we can probably start zeroing in on some of the culprits, right? If we, you and I might be sitting here wondering, okay, where did our sleep go since the 1940s? What has happened to it? And you nailed it by saying some of the technology, that's definitely one of the drains on our sleep. And it's not that we can't have technology, but it's just that those phones and tablets and other smart devices are actually emitting this kind of brain activating lights that that make it really difficult for us to unwind before going to bed. Um, one of the other challenges that that has really robbed us of our sleep is that we're going through the course of our day tired or wound tighter than a top because we're so stressed. And for those of us that are tired, we're maybe drinking more caffeine. And for those of us that are wound tighter than the top, we're probably drinking more alcohol. And both of those, caffeine and alcohol, are, are a recipe for a poor night's sleep, right? Those are gonna be difficult for us no matter what. And if we even in our country, if we look at what we value as a society, I worked for Corporate America. I'm a registered nurse. I worked for a lot of big hospitals, but I actually worked for a very big medical company for about eight, 10 years. And one of the things that I discovered is they really valued like, oh, you skipped your lunch. Good for you. Oh, you stayed late and you missed your family dinner. Awesome, right? This is a dedicated worker. Your performance review is going to reflect all your hard work, but it leaves very little time for quality of life. That was the era we came up in, uh, the same in the entertainment industry. The more meals I skipped, the more I worked on productions, the more I stayed in the editing room, the more you were valued as an employee and you were promoted. Now there's such a pushback from this young generation. They really want quality of life. And sometimes I find it surprising. I'm like, <laughs> What do you know? I start telling those stories about in the good old days. Do you know we used to work through Thanksgiving? Are you kidding me? In the newsroom at CBS. 
But I just wanted to say, there was a famous philosopher, physician, astronomer from the Middle Ages named Maimonides. Some called him Rambam. And he said seven to eight hours sleep way back in the Middle Ages. They knew. Yes, they knew. We probably learn these numbers. We have studies that back it up, but we learn it through sort of trial and error. If you think about why is sleep important? Like, why do we even need to sleep? Sleep is a opportunity for our body to be restored and be rejuvenated. And I know that even when right before we got on this call, Sarah, and I was sharing with you how stressful my last week was, and it was keeping my mind very active at night. And I implemented a lot of the strategies I'm going to share today with you, because I know that even though I'm an expert in some of these topics, I get affected by it too, with just, I'll have a bad week or maybe not eat a great meal or something along that line. It's I think people need to realize that sleep is one of those pillars of health, but it's not just beauty sleep <laughs> that we're talking about. My grandmother used to be like, oh, you've got to get your beauty sleep. Mine but, too, mine too. But there's a lot, there's a lot going on in terms of what's happening when I, we sleep. And I when you learn about what's actually going on inside the body, it makes you crave sleep even more. It helps with muscle growth, right? That's when our tissue is repairing. When we're sleeping, our protein in our body is going through this synthesis process and it helps our growth hormones release. And even certain detoxification processes happen better while we're sleeping because it's not focused on digesting food or expending energy to keep you going throughout the day. Being sleep deprived extends far beyond just being groggy. When you are groggy, that lack of sleep can create a level of inflammation in your body. And as that's my area of expertise, talking about what is inflaming our body, what is pissing off our body, making it so that there's that silent flame inside. And then that can lead to some form of chronic disease like you and I both have experienced in our lives. Let's just be superficial for a minute. When I read the body fat, the belly fat, situation that middle-aged women actually are prone to get this ring of belly fat and that not sleeping can immediately up that belly fat ring. I was like, okay, Jackie, you have my attention. Yeah, the, the muffin top. Is that what you're talking yes. about? The, yeah, yes. Yeah. Come on. Well, let's... It's in, the middle age, I like how you say that the middle age women. So women who are even postmenopausal, like myself, we have a change in the area that our body distributes fat. And so in my case, if I back when I was premenopausal back in my 30s, when fat would be distributed in my body, it would be distributed more in my hips and my thighs. And then now if I gain any weight, it will often be distributed in my middle half. And you can only imagine where's the worst place to have fat. It's surrounding those vital organs, that visceral fat that is around your liver and your heart. And those are areas in our body that just need to be kept lean. I remember reading a story about somebody that said that she married her husband and she married her husband and he was a banana. But when she retired, he was an apple. <laughs> Those were his 
<laughs> so so wait, be- did you get your period back after you had chemotherapy? I did. Yeah. I had ovaries of steel. So I had, and I'm glad you asked that question because people don't always talk about that. But so I had a, my cancer had spread to my lymph node. So I had a very aggressive form of chemotherapy, double mastectomy. And then I had eight rounds of adromycin, cytoxin and taxol. And I was 37 years old and turned 38 during treatment. But one of the things that happened was, yeah, I went into menopause and the doctor said, you'll probably stay in menopause. But then when I got on tamoxifen, the, my ovaries started cranking up again and I got my period again, and they did not like that. After five years, they took my ovaries out because they were still working again, ovaries of steel. And Mm -hmm. I ended up going on an aromatase inhibitor after that for many years, but that was, and actually those medications were ones that really disrupted my sleep. And you throw into the mix, the medication with the fear and anxiety of being diagnosed with cancer, you're just, your whole system's messed with, of course, you're not going to sleep. And I think I had a one-year-old when I was diagnosed. So I had a child uh, from my first marriage who was seven. And then at the time I had a one-year-old and the anxiety of trying to take care of this. He was really, he was a little baby Hmm. (laughs) and he was 25 pounds. I couldn't lift him after all my surgeries. It was just a lot of stress. And that hot flashes. I learned we should do a podcast on hot flashes because I know we did one on intimacy, but I learned some really fantastic techniques so that when I had my ovaries out, I made some big nutritional changes and my hot flashes went down to like very Okay. So Jackie, guess what? (laughs) For anyone who's listened to the podcast, you know that I always bring up something that makes Jackie say, we should do a podcast on that. And that's how I make sure she comes back every week with these amazing topics. So we will have to deliver a, a hot flash. It's a good, that, that's a really good topic because hot flashes are really disruptive to sleep, but just our quality of life. You feel you, you get the blankets on, the blankets off, you're sweating, you're cold. You're, it's like a circus in your body. It's a little imbalance for sure. I, I have an episode with Missy Hall, the comedian. So if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I do episodes with Jackie. And that's like a little mini series of wellness within the whole beating cancer daily podcast. And then I have a mini series with comedian Missy Hall, who was a performing comedian for comedy cures for two decades. But then she called me when she was diagnosed with cancer. So I helped take her through her diagnosis and then her treatment and now her survivorship. And so that's like a little mini series within the podcast of Beating Cancer Daily. And Jackie, she had a hot flash in the middle of us recording the podcast and we took her through it. It was so funny. She was just drenched, but we kept recording. But the whole thing happened while we were recording (laughs) the podcast. But see... That just goes to show how amazing women are. We're multitasking, right? We're doing a podcast. We're having a hot flash. We're cooking dinner. We're doing all this stuff. It's impressive. Tell Missy, I think she's amazing. <laughs> she thinks you're amazing too. She comes on every health builder that we do monthly. Where if you haven't seen and heard Jackie's health builder series, go to the Comedy Cures website and sign up. About once a month, she comes on and she does a live 
educational event with us. And then you get to ask her questions and it's pretty amazing. So check that out at comedycures.org. But Jackie, just in terms of the sleep topic and cancer, you hit it when you said it's not only the physical part of cancer, but it's the emotional part of going through cancer that is just terrifying. And then you have to try to fall asleep in the middle of your fear and anxiety. And also all the responsibility you have in life doesn't go away just because you're diagnosed with cancer. I actually have a podcast episode on that. We have to figure out in our already overtaxed lives how to all of a sudden start thinking about how to be well, right? But also go through all this cancer treatment at the same time. How do you do it? How do you get yourself to sleep? No, everybody's different, right? That's the unique thing. Cancer diagnosis definitely compounds whatever stress you already have going on in your life. I mean, cancer introduced me to what a panic attack was. It never... (laughs) Back before, and I remember like being in my bedroom. I'm dying. I'm, my husband's like, "What's wrong?" I mean, my heart was racing. My and here I am, a critical care nurse. I know what other people look like when they're having a panic attack. <laughs> I had no idea what I would look like having a panic attack. I just I couldn't wrap my arm or arms around this diagnosis. It was so difficult. And part of that was also because I wasn't sleeping, right? So when we're not sleeping, it impairs our judgment, right? And so that certainly impacted that panic attack that I had. But think about when other people aren't sleeping, think about the accidents we see on the road. Think about the accidents in our everyday life that can happen oftentimes because people are exhausted. It truly affects our cognitive ability. Okay, Um, I'm coming clean. I'm just going to say it. So I don't don't know if you were looking at me, Jackie, when you said that. I'm looking at you. (laughs) I literally got off a plane after a three-day trip. I had to go to Europe on business and I got off the plane. I was jet lagged. I had so much on my mind and I was carrying way too much stuff walking down a flight of stairs. And I face planted. And I know that was because I was really thinking about everything I had to do, not focused on going down the stairs. And I was physically tired. Mm -hmm. And I know that it was partly the jet lag and I face planted down the stairs and I am definitely recovering. There's one episode of this podcast where I did the recording but without opening my jaw. So <laughs> I saw you after that and the you were your after. Jaw so swollen. I couldn't believe it. And you were, it was almost like watching a ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. So I am living proof. Trust. I am living proof that you actually really have to be careful if you are not honoring what Jackie's going to teach us about sleep because accidents do happen. And I know you're probably going to cover this, but because one of my dearest friends, Catherine Grill, is a neuroscientist and she did our first research study with us and is helping on the second research study a bit with the scientific aspect, your brain needs to clean up. It does. And I can't wait for you to talk about that. And that's really 
what made me one, start paying attention to you, but two, actually go to a professional sleep clinic because I realized my brain had a lot of catching up to do on the cleanup. I think it's something that's really a priority. It needs to be a priority for health and also quality of life. We just talked about accidents. We talked about restoring muscles, repair. Lack of sleep also hurts our sex drive. It, it actually changes our hormonal balance in our body and it makes us age quicker. And it can also be linked to weight gain, which was, you were talking a little bit about that muffin top and going into menopause. There are studies that show that people that get less than seven hours of sleep a night have higher body mass index. Um, there are studies that show, and these are multiple studies. I don't have them all in front of me, but studies are showing not only high BMI, but these are, are another population of people that are getting or at greater risk now for type two diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And what I find particularly interesting is that some of these studies are also dialing in on some of the connection between lack of sleep and the ramping up of ghrelin and ghrelin is our kind of hunger hormone, right? It makes sense. Think about it. Like we're exhausted and we want to eat to get energy, right? So our ghrelin ramps up. It's, ooh, Saren, you need to keep eating because you're so tired. And that ghrelin just ramps up. Leptin, which is our satiety hormone, decreases when we're exhausted. Again, there's an imbalance in that kind of hormonal system. And this is where we start seeing a, a ramping up of cortisol, which is our stress hormone. So things Which has are, been linked to cancer. It is. High yeah. Cancer. Everything's connected everything is connected. And that's one of the, the beauties of our podcasts that we've been doing together is we're building this foundation of understanding. And all every podcast builds on another podcast, right? we'll be talking about antioxidants, and that weaves into gut health, and that weaves into sleep, and that weaves into we're, we're covering so many important areas of health. And that's why I always say, if you haven't heard every episode that Jackie and I have done together, just go back into wherever you listen to Beating Cancer Daily, type in special cancer expert or cancer expert, and her episodes will come up. There are We try to do them weekly, but they really do build on each other. I don't think we get through one episode without referencing another episode that we've done. And I have to tell you, I've said this before, I love being up at night because I love the quiet of the night. I have so many interruptions during the day because the charity is so busy. I run the Comedy Cures Foundation. And so in the peace of the night, when I'm sitting there all by myself, Jackie, you said it. It's like you have a little spy cam into my kitchen. I love to go in and eat in the quiet of the night, just, and I'm talking meals. My mm -hmm. husband's just a snacker, but I yeah. literally love to eat meals late at mm -hmm. night because I am right. so hungry. And now you just explain why that is. I think nighttime is a, I don't want to take away the joy of the quiet at night because I do find that nighttime is a very special time. It's oftentimes when people have that time that they can decompress and relax. And maybe that is the opportunity to find a time that you can really nurture yourself with a warm magnesium soak 
or even skipping the alcohol, skipping the caffeine and doing some meditation or light reading, staying off the devices. These are things that we can do. And that's giving your body some love. Anybody that comes to me with inflammatory issues, sleep is something that we spend quite a bit of time on. And the reason for that is lack of sleep is related to any inflammatory condition, whether it be obesity to cancer. Lack of sleep is an important thing because lack of sleep is a perceived stressor on the body. And again, if we're connecting all the dots, those perceived stressors are things we need to pay attention to. You know what I just thought of? How before there was electricity, when people had to use candles, Mm -hmm. everybody went to sleep so much earlier because you really went to to sleep with the sun going down and you awakened with the sun coming up. That's your circadian rhythm. That's your inner rhythm of your body. That's the way it's designed to work. You know, our body, when after, you know, when the lights start going down or it gets dark out at night, it's the time that we start preparing our body for rest. And But instead we're watching sitcoms or TV or we're playing some game on our phone or our app or our device. And that truly disrupts that quality of sleep. One of the things I have my clients do when they first start working with me is I do a sleep assessment questionnaire and I ask questions like, are you satisfied with your sleep? Do you feel rested in the morning? What's interesting is some people will say they're satisfied with their sleep, but then they'll say I'm not rested in the morning, which means their sleep is not as good as they think it is. But some of us have just grown accustomed to having such little sleep or poor quality of sleep. That's just the way it is. The sleep assessment also covers things like how quickly do you fall asleep? Does it take less than 30 minutes? How many hours do you sleep? Do you have a regular bedtime? Because routine is something that's really helpful. I'm somebody that goes to bed at the same time and I wake up at the same time. I really don't need an alarm clock. I don't often set one unless I know for sure, like I'm catching a flight or something along that lines that I need to be there. But for example, last weekend we attended a wedding and I didn't get home until close to midnight, which is really messing with my cycle, right? I ended up still waking up at that six o'clock time, even though I went to bed at midnight and I was kind of a mess for a couple of days because I missed those few hours that, that normally I would have got for sleep. And, and I'm you not have a really good boundaries about I sleep and about meals. Like I'm yeah. her friend now too. And I'm telling you like behind the curtain, she really practices what she preaches I'm not so good on the boundaries. And I I admit that on the podcast all the time, whether it's a sleep boundary or a food boundary or saying no, Jackie's got much better boundaries. So this is where you definitely want to listen to Jackie. You might identify with me, but let Jackie mentor us for sure. I like, well, thank you for that. That's so nice. It's not, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I try really hard. I have a good sleep hygiene, I call it. But I'll tell you my motivation behind wanting these routines is because I find, I work with a lot of people, people that have mild conditions all the way to people that have very serious illnesses like stage four cancer. 
And in order for me to be the best version of myself for them, I need to bring the best me to the table. And I am not the best me when I'm not, when I'm not sleeping well. And I know that about myself. So that's one of the reasons that I am so passionate about sleep and even nutrition, right? It's something that's really important to me. And while you call it practicing what you preach, it's not, it's sort of effortless at this point because I feel so good. You and I, Saren, know what it feels like to feel horrible and vulnerable and scared. And in my case, get your affairs in order. You're going to die. There's nothing more we can do for you. That's the most terrifying sentence you ever want to hear from a healthcare provider. And it puts you in this very vulnerable position. And I think one of the things that I think you and I have bonded together in, in the work that we've done together is that we both see it as such a privilege and an honor to be with people during this very vulnerable time on their journey and in health and wellness. And whether it's a a stage four cancer diagnosis or a new diagnosis of even early stage cancer, we recognize that the fear is a huge part of that and we want to pay it forward. 100%. I'm so interested in learning more about how you shifted from that moment of panic attack to getting good sleep hygiene. I love that phrase. That's what we're all going to do from this episode. We're all going to try to model and learn some of your sleep hygiene practices. Let's, yeah, let's go through some of the strategies. I will start off by talking about briefly when you're in chemotherapy, the whole chemo brain thing created a lot of anxiety for me. And I came up with this strategy of just keeping a notepad next to my bed because I was so afraid I'd think of something and it it would come up at two o'clock in the morning. And then I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to forget it. And then I found that just making a note of it gave me, it freed up my brain space so that I could go back to sleep and sleep well. And I knew I could deal with it in the morning. So this is why we're friends because I had a notepad next to my bed also, I still do. And instead of writing down something that I didn't want to forget, I was writing jokes. Like I would be sleeping or falling asleep and I would think of something hilarious about the chemo experience or the cancer experience. And that's where the whole tumor humor and tumor humor challenge that I did and that I do on this podcast comes out because as you're falling asleep, if you like to think with a comic perspective, some of your best premises or punchlines come as you're either going to sleep or waking up. So you're writing like lists of things that you don't want to forget. And I'm like, I got to write down this comedy. This is comedy gold. Cancer is comedy gold. I love that. So some of the sleep strategies that we could really focus on are really starting with your sleep environment. So blocking out the noise, those interruptions that happen, whether they be in our bedroom or from another person or a TV, they make it really hard for us to get into that deeper, more restorative stages of sleep. How about the ding of your phone messages coming in or alarms set on your phone that are just reminders. I find that my husband doesn't turn down the volume and all throughout the night, I'll hear beep, beep, beep. Or it'll vibrate. We got to get rid of the ding dings. (laughs) 
<laughs> so please get rid of the ding-dings and the vibrates and all that stuff, because believe it or not, even though it's quiet, it is still very disruptive. And I think in addition to the noise, we need to dim the lights early on. The light, I mean, it's kind of fascinating. This goes back to just the way our body functions as this beautiful machine. But if we don't dim the lights, that light sends a let's stay awake alert or signal to the brain. And it influences that circadian rhythm that we were talking about. And that circadian rhythm is the thing that really controls our body's natural sleep and awake cycle. So if you have something plugged in and it's just got a little white light that's just saying, hey, I'm plugged in, we don't want to see it. Cover it with a towel, leave the room, but put it somewhere else other than right next to your bed. It's not serving you well. I've even heard to turn off the Wi-Fi from your phone because of the signal just of the Wi-Fi connecting to your router isn't good for your brain. Anything that's going to be impacting your environment is something you need to remove from the room. You don't might not have to turn it off. Some people use their phone as an alarm. I, I laugh because my daughter, she sets her alarm, but I put the alarm on the other side of the room. It's her phone that she uses an alarm, but it's actually 20 feet from her and it's covered. But I put it on the other side of the room because it's the only way I can get her on the bed to get up to turn it off. <laughs> um, another great strategy to do for your environment is to keep your bedroom chilly. Your throughout the night, your body temperature actually fluctuates, not only throughout the night, but also throughout the whole day. It is at its highest temperature in the afternoon and its lowest in the morning. So if your room is too hot, our body's going to work really hard all night long to cool you down. And if it's working really hard to cool you down, it's going to make it difficult to fall asleep. So a 65 degrees is sort of the sweet spot according to the National Sleep Foundation, for the temperature you should have your room at. And so I live by that. I like a nice, cool bedroom. That's interesting because should you not take a warm bath or warm shower before you go to sleep? No, you can. I mean, I take a magnesium soak. It's just talking about the the temperature of the room throughout the whole night. So you can take a, a nice warm bath if you want, because oftentimes people find that very relaxing, especially if you throw magnesium in there. But where it's do you just, get your magnesium, Jackie? Because I know you are such a detective on anything yeah. that goes in or touches the body. People use Epsom salts a lot. I actually really like this company called Ancient Minerals, and they do these magnesium flakes that I just think are amazing. So those are the ones that I choose to use, but Epsom salts work fine. And I believe there's others on the market, but those are the ones that that I prefer to use. When I injured my foot, again, my daughter said to me, I think you need to sleep more because you've had three injuries in a short amount of time. And I think it's because you are not sleeping, mom. So I'm coming clean. I am telling you. Yes. She's smart. She's, it's, it's the whole thing about sleep is it's not rocket science in the sense that we know when we're tired. And the problem is many of us get used to being tired. And when we get used to being tired and we know we've got issues with sleep, we don't necessarily know what to do. So 
we need to get off the devices. We need to keep the room cool. We need to keep the extra light. Another thing that can help is to improve ventilation. Stuffy rooms can increase nasal congestion. It makes it difficult to breathe while you're sleeping. So my mom is somebody that even in a snowstorm, the windows cracked open, which drives my husband crazy because of the heating bill. But I remember when I went to school in England and took a trip to Scotland and I was in Scotland that no matter what in I went to, all the windows were open. Fresh air was the thing. And so I am a big supporter of that. I like the fresh air. And definitely I think that can help with room stuffiness for sure. Well, also allergens, because I got rid of my down pillows and down comforter and mm-hmm. I stopped waking up with a stuffy nose. I did not right. realize that I was allergic to down. So Absolutely. allergens are really important and huge. Oof, it made yeah, a for sure. huge difference. For sure. Allergies for sure. But then another thing we could try to do is if what you and I are doing, Sarah, is we're talking about basically all the senses of the body, right? So we talked about the eyes, the light, right? Now we're talking about the fresh air, the way what we're breathing in, but also senses. Certain people can diffuse essential oils 30 minutes before sleeping and it can cue the body that it's time to rest. And those are senses like lavender and frankincense, cedarwood, bergamot, and there's lots of different resources that you can use to you know, get that into your air, right? There's diffusers. Some people can just sniff the little bottles of it. I also find citrus to be very relaxing. So I will oftentimes smell citrus for some of the the senses. And you know that anytime we're talking about a health topic, I'm always going to bring the nutrition aspect into it. And that's going to be really skipping the sugary stuff at night, the desserts, Pumpkin seeds. <laughs> we mentioned pumpkin seeds more than any podcast in the world. I know. I know. Pumpkin seeds are great because Jackie's addicted to them. Uh, people can skip the dessert. That's going to really help with blood sugar balance. And one thing that people don't realize is that when they wake up in the middle of the night, they often think it's because they have to go to the bathroom. And other reasons that they wake up might be because their blood sugar dips and their body's saying, whoa, hey, Saren, wake up. Your blood sugar is dipping. You need to take care of this, right? So we wake up, we think we have to go to the bathroom, but it could be because of a blood sugar dip. So if we can avoid the, the desserts, even skipping the alcohol, right? Alcohol is another one that that really interferes with restorative sleep. A lot of times people will have cocktails and they're like, oh, I fell right to sleep because... I felt better because I had my drink, but it doesn't last. You end up waking up in the middle of the night because it's disrupting the the very delicate balance that you need in order to get a good night's rest. I also find that my husband, if he has wine or say tequila at dinner, I see that he snores more. Oh yeah, for sure. Which disrupts my sleep. I'm like, oh no, this, I know I'm going to hear snoring tonight because uh, he had a glass of wine. Just in terms of intimacy, I don't think people, I've ever heard anyone ask this question. So would we sleep better if we've been intimate before we go to sleep? Or it would be better to be intimate at another part in the day because that would make your sleep worse. What's the science on that? 
can I say orgasm? Is that okay? Yes. I'm letting <laughs> her say it. <laughs> yeah. Orgasm can be very relaxing or intimacy can be very relaxing to the body because it's releasing relaxing chemicals right in the body in order for people to sleep. So there's lots of people that will find that having an orgasm before bed can actually help with sleep uh, because it is very relaxing. So obviously it depends on your relationship and all of that, but yes, intimacy is important for so many reasons. And so I think it's something that people need to think about for sure. And that's an entire episode that we did on intimacy. So if that topic interests you, we say it's an adult episode. So if you have kids, you might want to listen to that episode when you're not in the car driving your kids. But it's a really special episode, and I'm glad we did it. It's actually wildly successful. It's really popular, Jackie. People love that episode. We probably just made the sleep episode a an adult episode, too. <laughs> I think it's okay. <laughs> Kids will go origami, origami. <laughs> What does she say? Is that the same thing as organic food, mom? (laughs) Well, let's talk about some big tips that we need to talk. We talked about keeping it cool, keeping the light out, put the cell phone down. When people lift up the cell phone, they're activating their, they're turning off their pineal gland. That pineal gland is the gland that secretes melatonin. Melatonin is your sleep hormone. There are phones that give you the eye comfort, I think it's called on an Apple phone. And then there's blue light filter on Android Android phones. And those are excellent to use because they will not shut down that pineal gland and it will continue producing melatonin. But the recommendation would be to avoid staring at your screens one to two hours before bed. And what about help- glasses? Do you use blue light filters on your glasses? I don't, but I know people that do, and you can do that. The ideal thing would be to be off the devices one to two hours before bed. But if you can't do that, the blue light filter, the eye comfort on the iPhones, or even the the blue light glasses will be helpful. There's even some people that are talking about when you brush your teeth before bed, that peppermint toothpaste and that mouthwash that help with bad breath, that can be something that can keep you alert. That peppermint kind of wake up taste. I brush with a non-toxic peppermint toothpaste at night. It doesn't seem to impact my sleep. But, you know, for if we're really looking, like trying to dig deep to discover what is going to be really helpful, leave no stone unturned. Check the medications that you're taking every day. Those are important to see. Maybe the timing of them should be different, right? So I often will tell people, take magnesium at night, but take your B12 or whatever the B vitamin, if they're taking a B supplement, and again, don't take any supplements unless recommended by your doctor, um, but maybe take the B vitamins in the morning because they might ramp you up a little bit more. Um, if we talk about other lifestyle things, we, we get the sugar out. We maybe move our body more. The National Sleep Foundation recommends that we add in 150 minutes of exercise each week. And that can really help prepare the body because it's expended a lot of energy during the day. It can prepare the body for sleep. And then I love the idea of this sort of sleep routine. And we threw out lots of ideas today. I recommend that people grab a hold of an idea and bring it into their plan, their sleep hygiene plan, one at a time, see what feels right, put a little sleep diary together. That can be really beneficial for sure. 
How about how much your spouse or the person you sleep next to can disrupt your sleep? They have mattresses where part of the bed stays cool. The other part of the bed doesn't. They have mattresses where you could have it harder and then they could have it softer. There's a lot of now gizmos and gadgets built into beds so that you are not disrupted. I forget how many times people move in a night. They move move a lot and it can be disruptive. So now we're going into marriage counseling. (laughs) (laughs) We've gone from intimacy to marriage counseling. So we, and this is a sleep podcast. So these are things, now that you've learned some of these techniques, right? Everything from meditation to developing your own sleep hygiene. Once you've got ideas that you want to implement into your routine, it's time for conversation with the person you're sharing your bed with, right? And to see what can work for the two of you, right? If somebody is snoring or there, there's some disruption there, it may be something they need to get checked out. They could be dealing with sleep apnea and that's always a health concern. So that's definitely something to check out for sure. Well, but I don't someone know if they have sleep apnea. You need a sleep, you need a sleep study. But what would make you think to go do that? Do you know you have sleep apnea if you have it or someone tells you? You wouldn't know. I've met with people where I've identified that they were at very high risk for sleep apnea. They went and had a sleep test and they were diagnosed with sleep apnea. You sort of stop breathing at different parts while you're sleeping. And what can happen is it creates a level of stress on the body that can cause people to have health issues from obesity to heart disease, right? And so the big question for healthcare providers is what came first? Was it the obesity that caused the sleep apnea? Was it the sleep apnea that caused the obesity? There are people that structurally have issues in their airway where they have sleep apnea and it's not related to obesity, but more often than not, someone that deals with uh, sleep apnea, if they are overweight, it's often because it's that middle weight that's creating pressure on the diaphragm and 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 changing the 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 rhythm of the the way that they're breathing. A lot of times sleep apnea can be significantly improved by losing weight. But the challenge is if you have sleep apnea, you're more at risk for gaining weight, right? So you've got to figure out what's going to work with that. And they do have machines that you can use like a CPAP machine, continuous positive airway pressure, which they use for people to help with sleep apnea. And it just keeps it so that they're not skipping breaths that can help stabilize and normalize their body. So maybe they can lose weight and get off of that machine. But it's just, some people find that difficult to sleep with. But I don't know if I ever told you this, but I actually did a research study with doctors and continuing medical education. And we worked with an ENT and then a physician's company. And we created a program on sleep apnea. And -hmm. then the doctor taught it with humor that Comedy Cures, our charity wrote and created and without humor. And we showed that doctors retain the information more if we taught them with humor than without humor. So I had to learn a lot about sleep apnea just to be able to write comedy about it. But it's just Mm -hmm. so funny that we ended up talking about it (laughs) because I just remembered, oh my gosh, I forgot so many years ago, we did that CME study 
It was really popular. It was so much fun. Oh, I think that's I think that's so interesting. I think it it's very important for people to find in order to retain information. It's really important to find things that spark their interest so it becomes something that really solidifies in their brain. Can I tell you a dumb joke? Just because yes, yes, you know, I, I always... my recommendation. That's about it for my recommendations. Too. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm all ready for your joke. Bring it on. <laughs> Did you hear about the new line of sleep aids? featuring melatonin infused with almonds, cashews, and pistachios. Now, wait a second. I just want to say, you probably have heard Jackie's episodes on nuts. So this joke is so much for Jackie, but, but I didn't write it, but I'm just going to repeat it again. I just had to say how tickled I was that I found the joke about, <laughs> about nuts. Did you hear about the new line of sleep aids featuring melatonin infused almonds, cashews, and pistachios? No. They're called doze nuts. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. I torture you guys and Jackie. <laughs> on every episode with a very silly joke. So fun, so fun. So I've always wanted to know, is warm milk something you should do or shouldn't do? Because my whole childhood, if I was hyper and I was hyper, I have a lot of energy, everybody would give me a, a cup of warm milk and tell me that it was going to make me fall asleep. Is that true? Oh, that's a good question. So I don't do dairy. So that's not something that I do. Because if I had warm milk before bed, I'd be up all night with a stomach ache. That's not something that I would do. There, There's certain foods that can have relaxing components to it. And in some cases where people are given milk or given something with magnesium in it, it can be very relaxing. It really depends on the person. Just avoiding the sugar would be really key. For sure. So hazelnuts, right? Hazelnuts are good for and sleep. Pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds. Even tryptophan rich foods, turkey, shrimp, tamari, those are good for inducing sleep for sure. Even melatonin rich foods you could try, and that can be really helpful. I wouldn't always do them directly right before bed, but Things during the day to sort of help produce melatonin are things like tart cherries and grapes, tomatoes, walnuts, oats. Walnuts are particularly shown to benefit sleep. And then oats are also a good source of melatonin. So if you're looking for nutritional resources for getting better melatonin production or better melatonin circulating in your body, those are definite options. But I think the best bet, because we are naturally producing melatonin, the best bet is to keep a clean diet and to try some of those lifestyle strategies that we They have about. all those over-the-counter gummies, like they're advertised everywhere, melatonin mm -hmm. capsules and then melatonin gummies. are Well, the gummies have sugar in them, so okay. I would steer clear of the sugar ones for sure. And I'm a food first gal, so if we can get it in our food and our lifestyle, you may not need a melatonin uh, supplement. You're probably going to be served well by just changing some of your lifestyle behaviors. I think that can be a really good place to start. If you do decide to supplement, I do recommend that you check with your doctor for sure, because I think that's if you're taking other medication or in some sort of a treatment 
whether it be for cancer or something else, you really want to make sure that there's no contraindications, any conflicts or things that can happen. Jackie, this was so helpful. I think we're all going to put a notebook next to our bed. We're going to all keep a sleep diary now to see what we're doing. We're going to purge our bedroom. We're going to get a routine and then we're going to start moving and eating in a certain way to improve our sleep hygiene. How can you not? Didn't she make an amazing case? Oh my God. I love you so much, Jackie Bright. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. So I can't wait to hear how this is impacting you and your sleep. And if you'd love to tell us, we love your feedback. You can go to comedycures.org and hit the record button or go to the contact menu and write to us. We really listen to all your progress. We get so excited that you get excited about the different instructions that Jackie gives on the podcast. And if you have a good sleep joke or a melatonin joke, you can leave it for me. I will share it with Jackie. We love it. Have a blessed day and I'll see you tomorrow. I hope you guys know this, but Beating Cancer Daily is a listener and donor supported podcast and community. So if you have some extra change, I'd love you to go to comedycures.org and make a donation today of whatever level is comfortable for you. And it will be tax deductible to the extent allowed by law because Comedy Cures is a nonprofit 501c3 organization founded from my chemo chair, April 1999, and we've been going strong ever since. So please consider making a donation today and help our community and this podcast thrive. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow. Guess what time it is? It's time for me to read the disclaimer. Beating Cancer Daily and the Membership Circle are not in lieu of medical advice or treatment. They are for entertainment purposes only. Please consult your healthcare team to review your best strategy. Thanks for listening.